0: Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. This episode of the Promo Kitchen podcast has been sponsored by SmartEQP.com. SmartEQP.com gives independent distributors three competitive advantages and quantity pricing from more than 90 of the top promotional product supplier lines quality connections from some of the brightest minds in the industry and cutting edge training from top secrets of promotional product sales. To give yourself an unrivaled combination of EQP buying power, quality connections and cutting edge training, visit www.SmartEQP.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the Promo Kitchen podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of CommonSKU, and I'm joined today by Jessica Hutwelker with Sunrise Identity. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Brittany David, currently Vice President of Sales at Snugs USA in Salt Lake City. Brittany has just finished an exhausting campaign for the PPAI board where she was recently elected to one of the supplier board seats. Congratulations, Brittany. Brittany is no stranger to the industry, having got her start right out of college when she joined Sage in 2006. In 2011, she moved over to the supplier side when she joined Snugs USA. Her rise throughout Snugs has been swift as she has moved from national account manager to national sales manager, to her current role as VP sales. Brittany also stands out in the promotional products industry as a millennial business executive. It's well known that our industry is aging, and there is no question that our future success depends on recruiting fresh young faces into our ranks. Today's episode will explore this theme as well as many others. Brittany, it's a great privilege for us to welcome you to the program.
1: Well, thanks. How's it going?
0: <laughs> hey, how are you doing? It's great to have you here. To have a board member, a new board member speaking with us. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't we start off with an easy one? Brittany, I'm always curious to know how people got their start in their industry. Like, What led you as a young graduate from college to join the crazy promotional products industry?
1: Well, the industry is definitely a hidden industry, as I think most people would say. I didn't grow up saying, hey, when I grow up, I want to sell lanyards and lip balms. So when I graduated, (laughs) shockingly, right? But when I graduated, as many millennials these days will say, I graduated and I went, what next? You know, I didn't graduate to be a doctor or to be a lawyer and know where my career path was. So I actually took a job doing DSL engineering for Verizon, Mm. which people who know me probably (laughs) would not be surprised to know that I got pretty restless working behind systems. So I went to work for the Gaylord Texan doing event planning. And hopped over to the Hilton Anatole, which I think some people are probably familiar with some pretty epic parties at the Crocodile Lounge and Gossip Bar back when Expo was back in Dallas. Mm. So the Sage show, the Sage Map show, was held at the Gaylord. So the person who took over for my boss who actually brought me to the Anatole and David Natinsky were having a conversation about looking for an event coordinator for Sage. And she threw my name that way, and they reached out. and, You know, I wasn't really tied to anything being in my early 20s and figured, you know, it's an opportunity and went in and interviewed and said, you know, why not? It seems like a great company. I still don't exactly know what they do, (laughs) but, you know, seize the day. Let's see what's out there and, you know, really fell in love with the industry. It's such a fun industry and it's always creative and always something new and I was very challenged being at Sage, so every day was definitely a new day. You got to meet a lot of really great people. There's a ton of creativity, and that's kind of how I stumbled into the industry that we're in.
0: Wow. So so interesting to join as a service provider because a lot of people generally join as either a distributor or as a supplier, so it's interesting that your first exposure was on that side. So. Bring me up to 2011, so you're working at Sage, Sage is a great organization, you're being challenged creatively, and then you move over to the supplier side and not only move from Dallas, but you move to Salt Lake City. What was behind that move?
1: You know, it's funny because I was very happy and very content and still very challenged being at Sage. I mean, there's great leadership, great people who I miss and talk to still daily or weekly, But Sidra was also a close friend of mine who worked at Snugs, and said, hey, you know, are you happy in your job? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, what do you think about, you know, coming over to Snugs?" And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, well, you can move out to Utah. Just like move from Dallas to Utah. Okay, that sounds like a really great fit for me. But the more and more that we talked, it was just another opportunity and another challenge. And I think that. As you talk about the millennial workforce, a lot of people are just looking for challenges and opportunities and really great fits with culture. So it was something that, again, my brother had already moved out to California from Texas. My parents had recently moved from Florida, so there wasn't any immediate family or anything holding me back other than a lot of great friends and a great job. And I said, you know, why not? It was just another opportunity. and. I figured I'd capture it and see where it led, and I've been really happy with the decision and the opportunities that Sidra and Brandon gave me kind of to lead up to today.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, do you see the industry in a different light now that you're on the supplier side coming over from the service provider side?
1: I think there's definitely new perspectives, and even talking with my friends at Sage, kind of picking their brains and hearing what they have to say. I think there's a lot of light that has been shed being on this side where I do have a lot of other opinions or, or just knowledge from actually being in it. I think until you're in the day-to-day grind, you have a very outside-looking-in point of view until you're actually in it all to understand all of the nuances and reasoning behind different decisions.
0: Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Jess, I'm curious, given that you have been a distributor for almost the same length of time that Brittany has been a service provider and a supplier, how would you answer that question in terms of your perspective on the industry coming at it from that of a distributor vantage point?
2: You know, it's really, really interesting. I've been in the industry for 10 years, and I would say that I've grown exponentially in the last two or three, and a lot of that has to do with the nurturing and building of relationships with the suppliers, with the service providers, with peers. It's very easy to be in a small business and be really rooted into the day-to-day and just trying to get by and trying to help your client. And, and then you've got suppliers that are banging on your door every 10 minutes trying to get a word in edgewise. And it's just very challenging. But the last several years, I've been really building my connections and my relationships with the suppliers and made them into partnerships. And you know, and that has really worked out so well and provides so many different perspectives, and it really helps to dissolve the line. As much as we're afraid of end users seeing the suppliers and, oh, that's really scary and all that stuff, I have to say it was incredibly impactful to bring former clients of mine to our partners that we trust and then they're able to collaborate so much better and and the suppliers are able to get like first account experience of the challenges that the client is going through and just really opens up a really beautiful conversation and so you know the last couple of years being more involved in the industry that's really been a game-changer attending industry events it just allows for more collaborative and insightful network and community and I think when you put yourself out there People are going to notice, and they're and they're going to want to, you know, help, and that's been my experience. So it's very easy to be stuck your head in the sand and just trying to get through the day. But there's something so much bigger that our industry has to offer that when we, you know, when we look up and and step in, it really changes things.
0: Right, that's a great answer. Brittany, in my intro, I alluded to the fact that the promotional products industry is aging and that it's really exciting to have fresh young faces in the industry like you and certainly Jess, you're, you're definitely in, in that club as well. I'm curious, Brittany, what it's like being a millennial within an old industry. How does it make you feel from you know, seizing opportunities, from interacting with people across different generations... I'm curious what your experience has been like.
1: Sure. You know, I think it's much like being a person in the world or a woman versus being a man. You know, a lot of commonalities, but a lot of things that are different too. I remember when I first started at Sage or back when I went to A&M, my senior year was when Facebook kind of came to fruition and you had to have a college email address to even be a member belong to Facebook. So I got to Sage And Facebook, for me, was a social platform of hanging out with friends. Those are the people that you really interacted with. And all of the sudden, (laughs) these people from the industry were friending me on Facebook. And it really took me to a place where I had to step in and go, what do I want to reveal? This is a very private, personal area for friends for me, but this is also becoming something that's professional. So the lines were very blurred. So from... An early point, I figured it's best to be altruistic, kind of what you see is what you get. Personal, friendly Brittany is pretty much the same person that you're going to get professionally. That way you don't have to hide from who you truly are. Yeah. So I think that that's been a little bit different for me where I'm very candid with who I am and getting into an industry that is fun yet professional. I think I'm very professional, but I'm professional and still true to who I am. I remember something that's been frustrating kind of recently is just how people brand millennials, and I've seen this a lot in the industry where a lot of people are my parents' age, and it almost seems like a lot of people will almost scold, like, oh, those millennials, those young kids, they want to do this, and there's so many misunderstandings between a generation where you're really, kind, in my opinion, referring to youth. Right? When somebody was 21, whether they were a baby boomer or whether they were a Gen X, they were still 21 or they were still 24. So a lot of the frustration, I think, doesn't necessarily come from what you've branded as a millennial. It comes for somebody that's that age in general where I think that there's conflicting information. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, millennials are so entitled and millennials are this and millennials are that. And I say, well, I'm not that way. And this is my view. And the reaction has often been, well, you're the exception to the rule. Right. I don't necessarily have that same opinion. I have a lot of people that are friends or run in the same circles that share those same views. There's just a disconnect on communication or what it is that you're really kind of getting to or what you're judging.
0: Right. I always find it so interesting because I think that so much of it comes down to the fear of the unknown, right? So if you're, if you're someone is that of a different generation, if let's say you're a Gen Xer or a boomer and all of your peers are of the same age or the same generation, then that's what you know and that's what you've grown up with. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And your customers may be all of the same generation and you've built a business and you've grown with those clients or you've grown with your colleagues, all of whom are the same age. And then as soon as a member of the next generation arrives, there's something sort of strange and unknown about that. And I think that either you're the kind of person who says, this is an interesting, amazing opportunity for me to learn from this new person. Then that's one way you can go down. Or you can be like a lot of people and say, I don't know about that person. He or she looks a bit different and talks a little bit differently and is on that smartphone or is on Facebook. And I think that's weird. Then they will generally shut their mind to that and they won't be necessarily open. So I feel like that's where a lot of that comes from. So that's a comment, but how have you dealt with that? Because if we're in an industry of older people or older professionals, (laughs) um, Uh how have you been able to navigate those waters?
1: I think it's touch and go. I think that you have a lot of the same common goals and common interests and common issues. I think that sometimes you see eye to eye. I think that certain people embrace it. They are seeing a need for millennials or different mindsets and are eager to pick that brain just as much as you're eager to pick theirs from the experience and the knowledge and the different experiences and everything that they've had one thing I think that's always a challenge is for people that haven't gotten to the point where they want to bridge that gap. Last year, Brandon Mackey and I were in a breakout group, and they were talking about this issue of, you know, how do the generations mix and mingle? How do you reach out to the younger generation? How do you guys work collaboratively together? And a man who I respect very much in our industry had said, yeah, my daughter's a millennial, and I keep trying to teach her the value of selling face-to-face and that she doesn't need to do everything online and she doesn't need to do this. And I think that a lot of younger buyers are saying, I understand that you're telling me that there's value in face-to-face. What I'm telling you is that I want to buy online and I want you to update me via text. You're at a crossroads. So either you choose to adapt to that or try to convince somebody to adapt to you and you get to make a choice. But I think that there's a lot of crossroads where you have some people that really see this generational phenomenon as an opportunity and a lot of people who see it as an obstacle. And I think that's where you're also going to see in the industry where companies are focusing on marketing, how they're adapting and how they're changing their businesses to growing buyers, because I don't see a struggle with working with anybody in our industry that's deemed older. You know, I think that there's, great minds there's great experience there's a lot of mentorship and people that I value a ton I don't see it very much as a struggle I am always surprised though at the people that are still pretty closed minded on these these young people coming up <laughs> and how they do business or how they want to buy right. but overall I think that we're all just people in it together you know you figure out how to, whether you're a man or a woman or you're 21 or 65 you know, you're all just in it together trying to figure it out.
0: So on that note, you're a VP sales of a large entrenched supplier who's been in the industry for some time now. How do you adapt your sales techniques when you're dealing with younger distributors, middle-aged distributors, and more tenured distributors? I mean, the approach to how you go to market must vary dramatically. How do you keep track of all of that?
1: I think it's almost like a relationship, right? Before you want to fix someone else, you have to figure out who you are and fix yourself. So we've really taken the last couple of years and kind of did a self-reflection as far as the company goes and went back to the basics to figure out who are we, what is our brand, who do we wanna be, and really examined is that all aligning or is it conflicting? Because if we don't know who we are as a company, it's gonna be really hard to tell other people. So with that, I think that you really have to figure out what are the touch points that people want to connect to. You know, are you looking at social? Are you looking at your online presence and online reputation? Are you looking at being able to communicate via phone, via sales calls, also via Skype? I mean, recently I did a Skype call with somebody. But really figuring out what are the best ways to communicate and get people information and figure out how you can do that on all platforms and all different customers that you're speaking to and adjust and be adaptable. I think that it's a very fluid way to communicate and ask people, how do you want to communicate? If you want a phone call, I'll pick up the phone and call you. If you want a text, I'll text you. If you want to do everything online, let's try to build a really user-friendly platform that's quick, efficient, gives you as few touch points as you need, having to navigate away from that if that's the way you want to do business because really it's about your customer. You know, you have to figure out what's the best way to communicate to them. I think you also have to pick who do you want your customer to be, right? Right. Some people might not want a millennial customer and that's their choice or somebody might not want to deal with people that are older. However, you want to classify people but you have to figure out who you want your customer to be and then adapt towards their needs.
2: Brittany, I would think too that so much of Nug success has to do with internal culture and the engagement of the employees. And I've had the privilege of coming to your office a couple of times and doing a tour and seeing the very large millennial staff that's there. And the things that really struck me and blew me away were how much pride everyone takes in their job. When, you know, when we were doing the tour on the floor in the production area, like every single person really wanted to show what they're doing and, and the pride that they take in it. And that was really compelling to me. And, you know, seeing that there's different committees and different ways of engagement and, you know, if it's fitness or health or I think the day we came there was an international festival and, you know, I just, there were so many different ways of allowing people to connect with each other and and I, I just was really impressed by it. And, and Brandon really knows what he's doing, and but he also gives, it seems, a lot of space for all of you to come forward and to rise up. And I think there's something really empowering about that. So I was very impressed with just the level of engagement, the level of loyalty, the level of service. I think that's what really makes
1: Snugs who they are, is you know, the internal structure. Yeah, you know, and Brandon, he's an amazing leader and I learn so much from him every day, but he is also a really kind person and he's not flashy. He's not in your face, but he has a really big heart and he cares about all of the employees he has and values everybody. And I think that that's another area that we've really focused on was culture. I mean, you could have a job anywhere, right? You can collect a paycheck anywhere, but going back to retention and people just enjoying life, you've got to make work fun because we all in this industry work really hard. This is a (laughs) 24-7 industry. It seems like we never turn off. And I know that that is kind of how our world is going these days. But being in this industry, I mean, man, you work really hard for the business that you get. But yeah, we have tons of opportunities and, and try to figure out a way that everybody can enjoy something, whether it's our community service projects that we do, and highway cleanup. We recently just did, partnered with Sherwin-Williams, where they give you paint buckets, and you can decorate them, fill them with candy, and they take them to a local hospital where kids can't go trick-or-treating, so they get something for Halloween. Now, there's a lot of different opportunities that are really fulfilling and getting to work with teammates and the camaraderie here, but Wellness Wednesdays, Mickey from our sales team teaches yoga on Fridays. There's a lot to get involved in to meet other people and to be fulfilled, whatever that is, outside of the daily grind. And People that are happy, they work harder for you. You don't have to ask a lot. If you have a fun culture, you have a happy culture. If you have people that are happy, they're not likely to leave. If you have people that are happy, they're likely to get the job done and really come together as a team and not say, this isn't in my job description, it's your turn. So he's done a really great job of creating the Snug brand internally as well as externally. Absolutely. And I think that happiness is actually a subjective word. So for each
2: employee, happiness to them means something else, I'm sure. And how would you say, you know, doing all these different ways of involvement and contributions, how do you think that's helped with the cross-generational interaction? Because I know that that that's something that's
1: most companies in our industry and in the country really worry about. So how do you think that really helps? I think having opportunities that are not only cross-generational but also multicultural give us a chance to all kind of bond. It doesn't separate an upstairs from downstairs mentality. It brings you together, whether you're out there all playing volleyball together. We have soccer tournaments, but finding things that are important for people to get to know each other, especially when you bring service into the picture. A lot of people have servant's hearts, and to be able to do something that's giving back and doing it with other people really gives you a chance to be thankful and show appreciation together, but to communicate, to celebrate, it doesn't really matter what your age is. It's bringing everybody together with a company. Our company is not very segregated, but it's also a pretty young, as you kind of touched on, it's a pretty young company. We have a lot of young workers, but we have a lot of people that have been here since day one when Snugs did eyewear retainers before we even dabbled into the promotional products industry.
0: Brittany, if you were to be speaking to an employer that has not had a great experience with millennial employees, like let's say their traditional responses, oh, they're lazy, or they don't want to work hard enough, blah, 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 or they're not loyal, like typical stereotypes that you hear about millennial workers, which I think you had alluded to at the beginning of the podcast. What advice would you give to an employer that's struggling to attract and retain millennial team members? Because it sounds like it's Snugs that's like the standard and that you guys have done a really, really great job with it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to, we've done a lot of like, figuring out the why. Why do you want a millennial? What are you looking for in a millennial to have them? And then what were your struggles? I know that one thing that I hear a lot is they want so much money. You know, they're so expensive. They don't have any experience, but they want all of this money. But kind of digging deeper to say, what do they want? What does that mean? I mean, graduating from college, I had friends that didn't have any specialized degrees that made $80,000. You know, they didn't have any experience except for maybe having a job at a restaurant or part-time job in college. So those jobs are out there as much as people think that they're not. But they're also hard to find. So if you have somebody that has really high expectations and your pay grade isn't there, you know maybe you sell them on everything else that you have and maybe they'll come back when they realize that that dream job isn't out there right now. But with that, that's something that's important to somebody I think you can also easily set up, you know, that's not where we are now, but what value can you add? What goals can we set? How can we get you to where you want to be financially or people that are lazy? Have you given them challenges or have you really put them into a role that's very monotonous that possibly doesn't even provide great training? How do you connect with that employee to figure out what are they motivated by? What keeps them going? Because. As you're challenged, and that's another area that people will hit on for millennials is they're looking for challenges, they're looking for opportunities. Those aren't things you're providing. It's probably not going to be a good fit anyway. If you want retention and you talk about people leaving, people usually don't leave a job if they feel like they're compensated and fulfilled. Whether it's monetary, whether it's work-life balance, you know, whether it's the, service aspect of it. Whatever is in their hearts, it's important to them. So I think it's important to identify from the get-go what gets them ticking to figure out how do you decide if you want to adapt to that. Because there's a lot that people can offer and very new insight. Just because they might be lacking experience, sometimes that lack of experience breaks barriers because there's no preconceived notions. It's a completely different point of view. So I do think that there's also a lot of value in the lack of experience if you have somebody that's a hard worker and that's smart and that's, you know, ready to give their all for you. I totally, totally agree. And I think that there's something to be said. there. I think there is that little bit
2: of extra work at the beginning for managers to sit down with their employees and figure out, like, you know, what does motivate you? What would make you feel fulfilled here? What are some talents or skills maybe we're not aware of that go beyond your scope of your job right now? And let's get something together. Let's put a plan together. I think it it is more effort and it, it is taking more time to spend with them. But I think that that's so important so that you care beyond, their job description and you see their potential and where they can go from here to two years from now because I think that's what they're looking for and and if you think too about parents in our generation, they were more involved and they did care and it was a lot different. So it's not just showing up for work and clocking in and clocking out. It shouldn't be, you know. I think there's something to be said about the quality of work that comes out of people who are actively engaged and feel like that they're valued for where they're at, so I totally agree with that.
1: Not all millennials are the same either, right? Millennial is a very big word to describe a generation. So keeping in mind to treat people as individuals, there's no magic millennial wand that says, if I follow step A, B, and C, I have this new perfect millennial employee and we're all happy and we're working together and I suited that need. It's really going back to treating people as an individual to figure out First of all, if you're even going to be cohesive and what their needs are and what your needs are and being transparent to move forward.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Brittany, I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about your campaign for the PPAI board, which congratulations again on uh, being elected. It's very well-deserved and must be very exciting. I took a look at some of your campaign materials, and I wanted to read something and then ask you a question about it. So, on your oh. yeah, there you go. Nothing incriminating. Don't worry about it. It's all on the. <laughs> um, so, on your campaign materials, you say, quote, "The face of our industry has changed dramatically over the last decade. We need to develop slash implement an effective plan to address disruptive business models such as Amazon, Zazzle, and Alibaba." We also need to educate the millennial generation raised on high-speed internet and smartphones on our value-add and adapt to buying needs before we become obsolete. The answer to this is likely a significant investment in technology. Both of these issues affect our entire membership base, whether you're a supplier, distributor, or business service provider close quote or end quote. <laughs> so that, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. And I was super charged up when I saw that and then just read it now. I mean, there's obviously lots and lots of questions from this, but why don't I start with one of them, which is how do you see Amazon, Zazzle, and Alibaba disrupting our business either for the negative or for the positive?
1: I think one thing for the positive is that it has, us as an industry figuring out a way to move forward. I think we've been kind of stagnant in the way that our model has worked, in our offerings, and we we see kind of tunnel visioned as to we're suppliers, we're distributors, this is how people buy product through this chain. But you look at a company like Amazon Who people love. Amazon, you know, they have great service. If you have to return something, no questions asked, you get a refund. The box that you get gets there within two days. You get a smiley face on your box. They have built this brand that I think this year they actually surpassed Walmart as the most valuable retailer. So you see a brand out there that people are looking to buying stuff, just random stuff from, that's now dabbled in well, we are also looking at the TV market. How are you watching videos? Look at Netflix. We see market dollars over there. Let's look into that. And Amazon, I mean, the people up there have got to be geniuses, right? They are looking at how can we capture more consumer money? What does that look like? And to think that they don't have their eyes on, well, there is this $20 billion industry out there where you can put a logo on a lot of the stuff that we sell. I mean, they'd be crazy not to look deeper into it. So it's really gotten you know, outside of the threats that we saw where it was so popular. I feel like when I first started, when people were talking about, oh, the supplier-distributor model, or distributor's gonna go to China, or supplier's gonna go direct, and it's this elephant that's in the room and has been in the room well before I was in this industry. But that really was the rumblings, and you see some of that today. I don't think that that's dismissed by any means, but really, we're looking at a new competitor that possibly doesn't exist. I hear so many people talking about the online companies and what a threat they are and everything's so price-driven and how do we compete with that. But my fear as we move forward is less that online presence because there's only going to be one low-price leader, right? Everybody can't be the low-price leader. But who's not in this industry yet that has their idea of how the industry should work that doesn't say, this is the channel that we have to go by These are the rules you have to follow. This is how it's done to get a logo. They say, hey, we want to have an imprinted product. We don't know what the steps were to get here. Let's create them. And I think that that, when you look at Amazon and when you look at Zazzle, they're companies that are definitely looking at new revenue streams and how can you capture more business, especially if you've built a really great brand and reputation. How do you sell more to the customers you already have?
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, another question I had from that quote was you make the mention about needing to invest much more in technology, or at least our industry needs to do so. What does that look like for you?
1: You know, I don't have the answer of what the ultimate technology piece is. I know that a podcast you did with Dale recently, he was talking about trying to bring companies together to be able to send great, complete purchase orders and how do we streamline that, I mean, it it blows my mind that probably over 80% of the purchase orders we receive are incomplete. You know, there's a lot of steps in there that seems like it should be, well, why can't you just place your order for pizza? Why can't you just place your order? It's like, why can't you just place your order for lip balm? There's stuff missing. So I think that there's definitely, as we work as different companies and don't have a technology platform where there are companies like Sage that offers different websites and different online tools and there's definitely different companies out there that offer virtual studios that you can put in virtual design studios on your website and there's pieces but there's not anything that's common which means people are having to go different venues whether it's just to update information or looking at EDI and how information is exported and imported and how you receive. There's nothing universal, and when all of these different companies are investing heavily into their technology, which is different from somebody else's technology, it still ultimately will put a strain somewhere because it's not uniform. So there's just, in my opinion, there's got to be, you can easily identify challenges that we have on both the distributor and supplier side along with challenges that end users are experiencing to figure out what kind of platforms can we put in place that are common and available to people to help kind of chip away at those challenges because the easier it is to do business for all of us the easier it is to get product to a customer
2: so one of the questions for me and Brittany I I know that you and I have talked a great deal about this you mentioned that you fell into the industry I've also fallen into the industry And I think that as companies like Amazon and Google become more and more prevalent, I feel like that they're going to attract top talent because they're the most visible. And you've mentioned how hidden we are as an industry. And I'm wondering how you feel about making it a goal, especially now being part of the board, of starting the conversations at the college level about what we do, but a little bit more interactive and engaging maybe. And, you know, finding ways to draw and attract these top talents that are coming out of universities and colleges so they're not being swept away or thinking that, you know, their best option or the goal of pie in the sky is to go after Amazon. What
1: are your thoughts about that? I think that being a hidden industry was something that was a big strength in the past, you know, if you wanted, especially before we had online, right? If you needed pens, there probably weren't too many places to go to get pens or shirts or whatever you needed, but the internet has really opened up. I think along the distributor competitor side of how people can source products, what's out there. But now that we know that you can get imprinted stuff, people can get it anywhere, whether they're doing it online, whether they have a relationship with people. And <laughs> within the industry, sorry, I'm blowing my own mind here, <laughs> within the industry, I think that the the internet has opened up so many wormholes for people to jump into to even source products. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going with this. But I feel like you asked two different questions, Jess, and I'm going with both of them, kind of with PPAI being hidden along with how you attract people to the industry. But with the industry being hidden, I think now there's a time for PPAI to actually be out there as an industry because the time for us to hide is no longer really there. If we want to be able as an industry and as suppliers and distributors to sell promotional products, we want to tell people that this is where you go to get promotional products. You know, there's. Compliance is a huge factor, different things that people might not really recognize when you're first scratching the surface of delivering those different kinds of marketing opportunities and what that stuff really equivalates to, but also drawing in top talent. I think that when you're looking at drawing in this younger generation, people are looking for more than a paycheck. They're looking for something that is fun, that does resonate with them, and I think that we have kind of a branding concern as well because our industry is a blast, you know, joining this industry that I had no idea what I was really in for, the people that I've met and the relationships and just the fun that you have is really fulfilling and it's something that's exciting and it keeps your job different every day. I think that when you can be transparent and really push out there, what are the strengths of this industry? What do people enjoy? What does this industry really do? I mean trying to explain what this industry is from being in it 10 years is still difficult when I talk to some of my friends. you know. So I think that there needs to be a message outside of we sell promotional products. Well, what is a promotional product? What is an ad specialty? What are these trinkets and trash that have logos on them? Why are they not trinkets and trash? How do you create that to marketing and branding and important for your company, but also Every business is different for what they're looking for, but when we talk about in the economy of all of these people graduating college without jobs, you obviously have a huge workforce that is just looking for an opportunity. So what are you looking for as a company and how do you resonate with those individuals? Because you have to find a fit. Not everybody's culture and what they have to give as a company is the same and not the job that you're looking to fulfill is going to be the same as the person next door. So I think that if you can go out, whether you're reaching out to colleges to say, here's what we have to offer, what are you looking for? How does that resonate? Making a connection would get people excited to work because you've got to build a little army. I mean, we can't do this alone. I think that the days of mom and pop shops are becoming a bigger and bigger struggle with the internet and with different avenues
0: for people to buy. When you think of the online players, Brittany, do you see that, like if Amazon, for instance, decided to get into the business like formally, and I know that they're sort of nipping at our heels a little bit, I know they've got like kind of a custom side, but it's not formally promotional products, or at least as we know it. I'm curious as to your view as to who wins and who loses when Amazon decides to come into the business. Is it A- the supplier because Amazon can just go and source its own products and and sell direct? Or is it the distributor because Amazon will just get direct access into the back end of Snugs, Snugs will give spectacular pricing to Amazon because they demand it, and there's also technical efficiencies to, you know, perhaps justify those price savings. Is it the distributor who then loses or is it the supplier who loses? I'm curious.
1: I think you lose everywhere, to be quite honest. I think that if Amazon, I mean, you could have supplier partnerships that feed directly into Amazon, no doubt, but look at Nike. Nike doesn't source from different suppliers to get their shoes. Nike goes direct and has their own factories. If Amazon really wanted to be a player, they'd have their own factories in China or in the United States or wherever they wanted to set up shop. It's not difficult to source equipment to be able to put a logo on something, especially if you have the financial backing to do it, right? As we all grow in our businesses, one of the big limitations is capital and having the money to do things. I would imagine a company like Amazon that's so successful right now has got to be able to invest wherever they wanted to. So why would they even look at our model necessarily and say, well, we'll just pick off this side of the team and the rest of it goes away. They're probably more likely to go direct. I mean, I would imagine. At the same time, it goes back to on both the supplier and distributor side is what is your value that you add that Amazon or another company wouldn't. And I think that that's a really important place for all businesses to be focusing on right now is what is your value proposition or what do you want that to be? Because if you don't have value, if you just say, I sell logoed merchandise, people can get that anywhere.
0: Well, and this thought just came to my head. I mean, you could also argue that if Amazon decided to get into the business and they were a hundred times bigger than 4imprint, and the reason I mentioned 4imprint is they seem to be every distributor's favorite whipping boy these days in terms of being scared and upset with 4imprint and their low prices and, and the like, and which is not necessarily a view shared by me, but it's just something that you hear a lot. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, sir. And and, it, and I'll just throw this idea by you. It's, it, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but... I kind of wonder whether if you had a big player like an Amazon came in and they increased the size of this industry, they took it from $20 billion to $40 billion, okay? And a lot of the business turned into low-price, commodity-driven, buy on Amazon with one-click type stuff. And while that would be really bad for the distributor who is, just used to taking the orders and sending out the catalogs and hoping for the orders and going out and, and just being a middleman or middle person. I kind of see that as an interesting opportunity for the agencies, the distributor models that are rooted in more than just providing stuff. So, you know, Jess, you're with Sunrise, like great example, or Axis Promotions, or a number of these other agency-style distributorships that are so much more than selling a cheap product. And I'm sure if you were to talk to Mitch, and I know he's not on this call right now, but Mitch Munger, the CEO of Sunrise, I'm sure that he hasn't built a business on competing against the low-price online guy. He's built a business on selling value-added services, design and branded brand-centric promotional products, building campaigns, and really focusing on ROI, which is not really something that you do when you're trying to buy 144 pens off of the cheapest website that you can find. There's certainly a market for that, but I think that what it does is really shines a light on the people that are bringing true value to the table. And I wonder if at the end of the day, that's a good thing for the business. I know you said it was a bad thing, but I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. Maybe it's a good thing. And maybe it's a good thing for the people that have really thought deeply and conscientiously about the value that they bring to the table and good on them if they increase their business in that climate.
1: Jeff, you can talk to this obviously too. I know it was directed to you as well, but I think that there's a lot of distributors out there that have looked at their value proposition and they don't pride themselves on being the low-cost leader. They pride themselves on providing marketing solutions and marketing campaigns because of the value they add as a human being being intuitive to know what their customers' needs are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I wanted to add to what you both said is the importance of culture. You know, Amazon right now is dealing with a huge snafu about what their culture is and the burnout rate and the turnover and the low retention. And, you know, me being in Seattle, like, we hear that over 100 new people are being hired by Amazon per week. And, you know, the general turnover is about 18 months. And, you know, Amazon doesn't really care. I mean, it could maybe they do, but, you know, they want the best, they want the most, and it's just it's a different environment than Google. You know, Google really prides itself on engagement and, you know, all these great, great values, core values. That's not the Amazon structure. So, you know, you look at that, too, eventually, I think that at what point is getting something done in one click and at a dollar, at what Point is it going to suddenly not seem quite so feel good? You know, is there other ways to do that where the employees are taken care of and there is the the service level and there is the collaboration and you know all those other things? But I think that culture is really really important and engagement yeah. for sure.
0: Well, and not to embarrass you, Brittany, but I'll well I'll, I'll say it anyhow that I I, I feel that. <laughs> look at the product that you're selling at Snugs. It's probably has to be one of the most competitive, commoditized, basic items in the promotional products business, right? And that So that's the negative, but look at the positive. You've got tons of competitors, but you as a company and under Brandon's leadership have invested a lot of money in culture, a lot of money in branding, a lot of money in customer service, and sure, you may not be the cheapest person for lanyards. You, you probably aren't. You probably don't care that you're not the cheapest. But I think what you're seeing is that your business is continuing to grow, is continuing to take off because you're offering incredible value for the price that you're charging. And I think that that ex- certainly extends to the distributor side. And I think that that's the message that's so important here. And I think if we you know, remember that as an industry, we'll continue to grow and we'll continue to be really, really profitable no matter if Amazon comes in. Like, welcome, Amazon. We're not <laughs> trying to close down the doors, is what I say. So
1: I think you kind of hit the nail on the head is you have to be competitive and you have to be fair, but you also have to add some sort of value if you're not the low-cost leader. So going back to that, you just have to examine what is that value, what do you think that value is, and does that translate into being value that people need? Right. I think that one of... One of my
2: favorite, favorite stories of all time of being in this industry, and it has to do with snugs, and I've told it many times, but I would be remiss not to mention it on this podcast with Brittany, is that last year, my largest client, they had an annual golf tournament, and it was unusually hot and sunny. Normally, it's rainy, and the client called me and said, we need... 7,000 one-ounce sunscreen bottles tomorrow, can you do it?" And I think it was like noon, it was something insane. And so I, I was searching all around the Northeast region, every supplier that had sunscreen, because that just seemed to make the most sense, and all of them, they, they couldn't do it. They're like, we can't even apply the labels, even if they're blank. We still need to apply labels for the FDA and, and to ship them, like, we just sorry, we can't do it. And the last resort and it should have been my first resort, but my last resort I called Snugs and, you know, just like, Hey, you know, here's a Hail Mary. I don't know if you guys can do this or not. Seven thousand one ounce sunscreen bottles and apparently we need a label to put on them even just to be able to ship them, even if they're blank. And Snugs was like, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and do you want the the artwork on it too? And, you know, they turned around 7,000 of these bottles with my client's artwork and shipped it overnight to my client. And we were all heroes. The client was a hero. We were a hero. Snugs was a hero. And that was such a huge testament to their commitment and desire uh, to help and their care. No one else was willing to do that. No one else was even really entertaining it. They're just like, eh, no, sorry, we can't do it. And Snugs just, I mean, it just won my heart over again, you know, with that. So it's just that kind of level of rising to the challenge. And, you know, I think that's really what sets another reason that sets um, Snugs apart from everyone else. So having said that, Brittany, you know, what is it about Snugs that makes you guys want to go above and beyond like that in that
1: situation? You know, I think that Snugs wants to be everybody's go-to where it's not, just things that are last minute or just Hail Marys we want to be a true partner for people you know we want to be in business 5 10 15 20 50 years from now and unless you really invest in your customers and do what it takes to get what they need i mean you're you're going to be out of it and we definitely one of our core values is do whatever it takes. you know. Be a good person. Integrity is top of what's on our list, but do what it takes to make it happen. And I think that we give people a lot of empowerment and a lot of resources to do what it takes to get the job done. But it comes from happy employees that want to work hard for you and want to work hard for your customers to actually make it happen. Because you can talk about making it happen, but you have to have the people there that have 100% buy-in to get the job done.
0: And looking at the time, it's hard to believe that we've blown past our normal, like, 45 minutes that we do this. And so, Brittany, we do, certainly don't want to overstay our welcome. I always like to end these podcasts with a question or giving our guests the last word. So if people want to find out more information about you, Brittany, or if you want to say any parting words to the members of the Promo Kitchen community, I'm going to turn things over to you.
1: Well, sure. I think kind of last words and going back to our conversation is I think that right now it's really a time for everybody to take a look inward to figure out what is the value that you offer. I think that that's an important area to focus on to figure out how you thrive and how you move forward. I also think going back to something that separates our industry from other industries is really true partnership. And I know that distributors feel the press for Pricing. And I know that suppliers are getting a push from that, it's a chain effect, but really figuring out how we can work together to really truly be partners where it's not always about price and where it is about value and how we translate that to an end user, what that looks like. And I also think another big thing right now is we've talked about the Amazons and we mentioned Zazzle and some companies. But I think what's really even more scary than that is the unknown. You know, you look at Facebook, which was founded in 2004. We didn't even really have a term of social media 11 years ago. You know, this kind of came out of nowhere from somebody in their young 20s that said, here's my idea, here's how we connect. And you've watched how it's transformed from the early 2000s till today. You know who's not out there at all, who's not an Amazon, who's not a Google, who's not somebody that's on their radar that could very easily figure out a way to do our industry a different way than we currently do it. So I think that we always have to be thinking about the unknown to figure out how we bring value. How do we adapt? Because we've got to adapt if we as an industry want to stay in this game and be the game that people go play. But as far as reaching out to me. I mean, LinkedIn is always a great way. You know, I've got my email address that I can shoot out to anybody here at Snugs, or you can go to our website for the contact me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active in Twitter as far as posting, but I love to <laughs> be this silent, I guess, kind of stalker checking everything out on Twitter. But there's all sorts of ways you can get me on social media, and I'd love to pick the brains of tons of people, and I'm here if anybody has questions for
0: me as well. Wow. Well, thanks, Brittany. And Jess, thank you so much. This was a real, uh, real pleasure to have the chance to to speak with the two of you. And it's always a topic that I feel like we're just scratching the surface of, but I'm really, really glad that we had a chance to dive into it. So thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me on. It's been fun.
0: Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. See you next time.